Hi, I'm Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned, and what they believe will be the future of online shopping. Hello, this is Jason Nias with Digital River. How many times have you wished for a way to look into the future to understand what your business needs to prepare for right now? Well, I'm excited today to have a few guests who can help us do that. They are from Future Commerce. Um, I'm joined by two co-founders, actually, Philip Jackson and Brian Lang. And Future Commerce is a really cool digital resource that focuses on a podcast, newsletters, and research Um, which is all supported by a collective of e-commerce experts who've helped global brands build their own digital channels. So I'm excited to have you two join me and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Uh, We're actually rebuilding our about page on futurecommerce.fm and I'm just going to steal all of that verbatim. Perfect. I'll email it to you. (laughs) It's fantastic. No, it's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Well, um, I got to know you gentlemen because you guys host one of the internet's most popular or at least best resources on e-commerce. And I was a guest on your show. Um, I Jump ball, Brian or Philip. I'd love for you to give us a little bit of your bio and talk a little bit about who is Future Commerce. You want to take it first, Philip, or should I? Yeah. <laughs> hey, how could I turn it down? Yeah, Future Commerce. Uh, you know, we we about five or six years ago, uh, Brian and I used to work for competitors and we found ourselves having really interesting and sort of heated conversations about uh, what the future looks like. And is there some sort of an eventuality that we're all heading towards? Certainly e-commerce was, you know, top of mind back then, uh, but the way you built it back then was a little bit different. And we seem to be on this precipice of a lot of really new and interesting types of commerce development, you know, converse, conversational commerce was like a really big trend at the time. And we saw a lot of uh, uh, APIs that were sort of leveraging this sort of multi-checkout, uh, very global, you know, very uh, uh, big focus on going global. And all of these changes all seem to be happening all at the same time. We said, why isn't anyone talking about the future of commerce? And so uh, Brian and I started a podcast uh, as, as I guess, was the norm back in 2016. And, um, and we quickly re- realized there's, there's so many other ways to be able to connect with people. Certainly podcasts are one, one media uh, form that people like to engage with. But uh, these days... Over the years, we, we just started adding new channels. Uh, so these days, you know, we, we write essays, uh, we perform original research, as you mentioned, and uh, and we are, you know, also in the newsletter uh, trade. And it's been uh, a quite a wild ride. But Brian, I, I, do we disagree as much these days as we used to? I don't know if we do. I mean, maybe sometimes. <laughs> uh, but we really, I think the, the unique angle that we take is commerce uh, touches everyone. Yeah, And therefore, commerce kind of can change the world um, if we do it together. And so um, that means that we're looking, I think, past just the, the, the best practices and the, the, maybe the, the driest strategy that you might find in, in other reports out there. And we really want to make it about human connection and, uh, and about uh, ideas and, and about you know, what's next. And, and I think... Uh, and, and about art and leading with um, things that actually are meaningful to people. Um, and so that, that's been a big part of, 
of who we are and the type of content we put out. And um, so, um, yeah, the, that's uh, I think that's a like pretty good summary <laughs> between the Perfect. two of us. <laughs> you can see why that's we excellent. have a tough time rewriting our about page. It's- <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, what, what I appreciate about both of you, you two gentlemen, is that you've got your head in the cloud, which you obviously should because you're talking, you're futurists, but you also have your feet on the ground and your backgrounds really lend itself nicely to the role of the companies you got, you founded. So can you give us a little bit of background on, and, and maybe we'll start uh, with you again, Phil, around what led you to this point? What experiences did you have in your professional career? What customers did you work with and what type of roles did you have? Yeah. So uh, let, let me, let me sort of give you a, a, the perspective is really shaped over a long period of time, right? So I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. First 10 years of my career, uh, I was on the brand side and we had, uh, you know, I worked for startups. Uh, I worked for what you might call today digitally native vertical brands, uh, companies that you know, manage their own supply chain, manage their own uh, manufacturing, whether it was domestic or in- international, uh, had a really strong line on the import business, very, very uh, early player to um, Amazon subscribe and save uh, in in the uh, wellness industry, uh, very early on to Amazon One uh, P, um, and just we had to solve problems by building custom software because that's how you did it back then. Um, and being on you know both a uh, a, a private equity backed uh, you know track of of growth and also in a, uh, a small venture backed uh, company, uh, I had sort of a perspective that you know was very early on in being an engineer in in the trade uh, kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up early on. Now, you know, these days the world's changed quite a bit in the last 10 years um, uh, after the last company I was with uh, sold to uh, a a public, you know, what we call a roll up these days. uh, I found myself wanting to help more people at scale. Uh, And so I went to an agency as, you know, a lot of people do mid-career and I went to the professional services side. And the thing I realized was uh, that that was the differentiator wasn't technology and it wasn't brand and it wasn't even quality of uh, uh, of materials the thing that kept our customers coming back when i was in direct to consumer was our excellent customer service and the relationship that we had with our customers and i realized that was the differentiator in our uh in our services business as well uh we were probably more expensive than others uh, but we delivered exceptional service. Uh, we treated our customers uh, the way we would want to have been treated ourselves. And I'm realizing that here in the media business and the media industry, ton of newsletters that churn out, you know, 15, 10, 15, $20 a month subscriptions. Do they have the kind of eye of, uh, on, on service and hospitality and having a relationship with their audience uh, that I have come accustomed, become accustomed to having over the last 20 years on both the brand side and on the services side? You cannot compete in the services industry without having an exceptional uh, white glove mentality with holding on to a customer. And I'm proud to say, you know, we learned how to hold on to customers for eight, 10 years. Um, and so I, I think we're doing it a little bit differently. And like Brian said, I think it's really about that human connection. Can we really def- divine the future? I don't think so, but we're all building the future together. Like we're actually in the midst, in the trenches every day, actually building what will become the future of commerce. We all have our hands to the plow, just, just like you do a d- digital river. You're, you're actually manifesting the future. I really like the psychology aspect of the way that you guys operate your business. You said something that resonated with me and it was really around the interdependencies of our industries. And if we specifically tie it to e-commerce, you know, back 
I've been doing this for 20 plus years and ecosystems are a relatively new concept in the world of e-commerce. It wasn't for the last you know, 10 to 15 years. It used to be a world where they didn't, there wasn't such interdependence. If you wanted something, you built it out and you figured out how to solve those problems yourself. But now in this world where everything's an app in an ecosystem, you're now reliant on many different technologies, many different partners, many different things working together. Um, you guys see that as well. Anything you want to add there, Brian? Because the psychology around deal control, around how you manage customers' expectations, those are all psychology angles. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, before we get to the psychology angle, I think what you said resonates with me very strongly. And I'll tease out a little bit of something that we're going to be talking about in our upcoming visions report, which is actually your customer experience is really not just you. It's actually made up of a whole bunch of experiences that other people have built. You are a hundred percent reliant on a whole like map of other technologies that have been built. Now, interestingly enough, in the in the past two, three years, these sort of stacks have all started to become and look really similar <laughs> to each other. Um, we as we've all picked the same technology pieces or similar technology pieces. But um the 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 thing is your brand is not your own. Like your business is not your own the uh these days it is actually fully dependent on these other pieces that you've you've connected and built built out that that your customers are experiencing whether or not they know it is a different story i mean just to like put some skin on the bones if you wanted to like make it real the uh the ugc on your website you know your your product uh uh ratings and reviews uh, sometimes just the checkout itself, or even just the payment buttons, uh, elements of maybe even your homepage or that video that you sourced from an influencer. Those are all parts of like vital customer experience and decision-making that a customer is working their way through. And that is not real estate necessarily on your website that you cultivated and planted and seeded and germinated and grew like that's stuff you brought in from elsewhere. And, um, you know, it's something that we're sort of calling the quilt, Right. And unfortunately for quilts, you kind of stand back and a lot of quilts all tend to look the same. Right. Uh, <laughs> you get up close and elements of quilts, you know, can can become distinct and apparent. Um, and so we're 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 noticing that, you know, uh, through a little bit of a uh, an exercise that we did and some research is, you know, as, as much as 30 percent of a customer journey in a website can be governed by these third parties and these, and you know, that are operating ecosystems now. And that's a lot of real estate to give over control of over to, you know, another, another company. And from, from an engineering standpoint too, you know, you're putting a lot of trust in those companies to be uh, up and available and, uh, and work in, uh, uh, all the time and be fast. It's, <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it, no, it just, it's, 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 yeah. it's just goes to demonstrate like, it is becoming more and more interdependent. Like the customer, yeah. the customer experience is dependent on other pieces more so than ever. And we talk about composable commerce these days and other things that, you know, it's like, okay, hold on. What does that actually mean for your customer? Not just you, not just you as a business and what you're building, but for your customer. Can, can I pitch you Jason a little bit on like, there's upsides and downsides to this, right? The upside is uh, we have an accelerated way to be able to, to deliver on these really high expectations for customer experience. 
So that's super positive. Another one is uh, as platforms have become sort of more uh, capable and they've sort of coalesced around a core set of features that most everybody needs, that means that you can be successful on pretty much any platform that you choose. Uh, it also means that we have this sort of homogenization of customer experience that most everything tends to operate the same, which is like in itself a little bit of a double-edged sword. You don't have to retrain your customer on how to shop with you because they know how to shop online, right? That's really powerful. Uh, but it's harder and harder to stand out too in a sea of sameness where you have hundreds of thousands of brands that all look like and operate just like you. Um, so really does that, then it comes down to expensive, you know, things that are more immersive. It's more photography, it's more video, it's more shoots. And those are things that lie outside of the purview. Sometimes of the person who's running the e-commerce channel is dependent on that kind of creative to be able to succeed. So these things become, uh, really complex in an e-commerce business. And uh, I think just recognizing that complexity is, is is key to understanding like the time that we're all in. Sorry, go Especially ahead, as customers are becoming more and more complex themselves and recognizing that they're more complex. Like the, I mean, I literally just had to tweet and Philip kind of called me out on this. Like I, I, I lost on, uh, like I lost to the multiverse. I hate the multiverse but the multiverse won. But I think the, the multiverse is just like this whole idea is so embedded in our culture right now that there's like, everything is more than it is like more than it's, it's, it is by itself. Like there's multiple <laughs> that's versions. Deep, Brian, that's deep, I know. For, that's deep for before five o'clock. I'll tell you. Uh, oh man. I think, um, yeah. I think, I think Plato <laughs> said that. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Plato, Plato is a big did. fan of the multiverse. You oh know? man. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think you're right on the, on the 30% of the site is other technologies, but I think probably 30% of the pixels, but 70% of the utility you know, how you capture yeah. payment, how you do reviews, totally. all, all right. of that. We're, we're going to quote you on that. That's great. <laughs> Go for it. Take it. You've got to be higher. But, but, you know, you talked about the quilt and I think that's really apropos. I think that's right. And in your, in your step-by-step -step podcast that, that I was honored to be on, you guys took a view on cross-border. And I think the fact that you had to do it in a multi- interview with many different experts kind of demonstrates your point. Can you talk a little bit about that podcast step-by-step -step, and maybe give it a little bit of a commercial so people can uh, decide if they want to tune in? Yeah. Uh, so step-by-step -step is a mini series that we do quarterly at future commerce. And uh, it's, it's usually um, a deeper dive, you know, deeper than a one one or two Oh one level. It's like a three Oh one level dive to help. Uh, what we say is to get you from, you know, zero to hero on a one particular topic. Uh, when we launched it, it was around a natural state of curiosity that we had in uh, how businesses get funded. Uh, there was certainly, you know, in 2017 and 18, there were a number of, you know, these, you know, large direct to consumer, uh, uh, you know, fundraises that uh, kept hitting the news. And we want to understand still happening. a little better. Still happens to some degree today. Uh, numbers are, are, are uh, uh, certainly uh, a thing to behold. Um, but when, when you take one particular topic and, and you sort of explode it, there's, you know, there's generally a, a, 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G. There's like a stepwise way to explaining a really uh, uh, thorny topic and putting it into a context that a diverse audience cares about. We don't just have merchants that listen to the show. Um, You know, we have uh, folks from all over the ecosystem. And even if you are, you consider yourself to be a merchant, your style of business really matters, right? So you could be a retailer, you could be operating a marketplace, you could could be pure play e-commerce, or you could, you know, have a wholesale business uh, that, you know, thrives and, you know, has... uh, uh, but services grocery, and that's very different to something in apparel. So uh, trying to uh, really tell a well-rounded story requires a ton of effort on our part. And um, you know, thankfully, we have an amazing team. Um, and we bring uh, an ecosystem of experts like yourself on to uh, help us get a little bit deeper. Uh, and it again, some people don't just connect with audio. And that's where I think that we're bridging a bit of a gap is that we're also creating these in-depth guides. Uh, and so in our cross-border uh, partnership with Avalara uh, this this quarter, we, you know, we produced a 40-page illustrated step-by-step guide on how to go cross-border. And, uh, and that is, you know, uh, that requires us to have a command of the subject matter um, and to wrangle a whole bunch of uh, uh, points of view. And, uh, but it's worth the, it's worth the, the investment on our part because uh, not a lot of folks in our ecosystem are trying to explode these thorny topics. Uh, what they're doing is they're, re- you know, they're, they're being extremely reductive, uh, not to criticize, but you know, a lot of it is like marketing fashions and fads that come in and out of style very quickly. You know, last year it was all about live stream video. And a couple years ago, it was all about subscription and reducing churn. Um, rather than following fads and fashions, you know, our approach is uh, take the uh, the things that are, are general truisms and try to demystify them and give people, you know, a step-by-step guide. And, well, and sometimes that takes a, a, a little bit of a, of time to tell that because they are complex issues, um, like cross-border in particular and the season that, that you came on for, Jason, uh, season seven of step-by-step was like a, a long story to tell across multiple people. Um, from from several from several companies, including including Avalara, including Digital River, including um, you know uh, big commerce right, and Flexport yeah. and um, and Kent Allen came on, which is amazing because yeah, been, that was that was cool. Been, it's funny we yeah. get to meet our heroes too, you know, because we've been in this for so long. You know, we've we there's certainly some names, you know the. Uh, the Kent Allens or Scott Silverman's of the world, you know, people that, you, you know, are, are, you know, the shoulders of Titans on which we all stand, uh, people who really paved the way for us. Um, and that's been a really great part of this, but when, you know, when you cover something like, I mean, cross border, honestly, um, when you consider the, the upstream effects of supply chain and how much, uh, even just the consideration of going cross border can affect supply chain. Like we are having light bulb moments ourselves when making this content because we, you know, I mean, say what you will. A lot of people are talking about polymathism and, you know, being a generalist these days. I've been doing this for a long time. I've I've implemented cross-border many times over. I had no idea the complexity on the supply chain that uh, <laughs> going cross-border can, can create. And so that's the kind of thing we're trying to tease out is uh, there are no best practices. Everything kind of ends up in a it depends heavily on what you're trying to do. Uh, but hopefully we can educate and make it a little clearer in the process. Yeah, especially as it relates to cross-border, because it's all about the trading pattern, the product you're trying to sell, from where you're trying to sell it, to where you're trying to sell it, at what price, at what weight, at what what it's made of. There's so many variables that, yeah, cross-border is, I love the way you guys do it because it's such a meaty topic that if you try and do it in 30 minutes to 40 minutes in a podcast, you're just going to be Pollyanna. You're going to be obvious. (laughs) You're never going to get any sort of real depth. 
you know, we too are experimenting as a media, you know, as a small bootstrapped media company in a niche area of, you know, of digital experience. You know, we're experimenting, trying to find the things that our audience cares about and where we're, you know, the future products that we build. Um, and so this is also part of our journey is, you know, we're learning and we're curious, but uh, we're trying to find that intersection of what our audience, you know, needs the most and what they need right now. Right on. Well, talk a little bit about some of the topics that you see on the horizon. You guys are future commerce. Um, you talked about conversational commerce. You talked about comp- <laughs> composable where where are we at in that journey? What's in the future? There's a, a lot coming right now. There's an idea that I am exploring right now, in, and hopefully I'm, I'm working on my next Insiders article, but it's it's basically the idea, this idea of the deconstruction of the um, customer brand relationship. Um, and this is an, an idea that's a little bit half-baked still that I'm, I'm trying to work out in an article. Uh, but the idea is that, um, in, in these past two years, we've seen sort of more distance between brand and, and consumer. Um, the, you know, the, between 70 and 90% of communication is nonverbal. And if you look back at, you know, at, at I hate to draw on philosophy here, but like the, the idea that like language is imperfect in itself, like it's very difficult to have a relationship slowly through words and images even. And so um, there's an interesting article in the Atlantic about this that I'm going to be referencing um, as I'm prone to do and uh, about how a relationship that's like text only, like it disintegrates over time. And um, the, the idea that um, is that this all, relationship right now is trending towards narrative like you brands and customers are only what they represent themselves as as opposed to actually what they are and so instead of having a real relationship it's just narratives interacting um and so this means that brands need to invest in narrative driven resources um and so that's, that's powerful. So I haven't heard any of this. Brian's just using you as a guinea pig to workshop it. <laughs> I am. Uh, I like it. Is, uh, but unpack it for me. But what what does narrative driven resources mean? Like web, social? Is it around better it means, pictures? Yeah, no, it's it's all of those things. It's around people that are able to tell stories that 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 are that that are self-aware and that are very clear, um, that are compelling. And because the the narrative is going to sort of live outside, like it's going to interact with the narrative the customer brings as well. And so as those two interact and they almost live outside of the actual brand and the actual customer themselves, like that narrative, the only way to like continue the, the relationship is to have the narrative continue. Um, Oh, I see. Yeah. There's a, uh, if, if, if you were deep into, if we had like our ethereal, uh, theme music wrapped around this and maybe <laughs> you, you hit, uh, you know, you hit, uh, a really fat blunt right before you started listening, then I think a lot of this starts to make sense. You're also like the thing that is really tough in our, in our spaces is, uh, what everybody wants you to say is we're going to have more chatbot automation in the future. Right. 
and and the, and the the fact is is that consumers actually have these wild reactions to something that's being pushed upon them as opposed to something that they're demanding of you. Uh, the thought leaders on Twitter will tell you live stream commerce is here and it's here to stay. Just look at what's happening in Asia. Not a single one of them have ever bought from QVC. They, they couldn't possibly tell you what a consumer that, that looks for a live stream you know, purchase experience wants because they are not that consumer themselves. Uh, and so I think to say something is going to be a thing uh, as a physical manifestation is a little bit of a red herring. Um, what, what we all can agree on, uh, is that it's really difficult to predict what future customer expectations will be. If you can compose your business in such a way to be able to, uh, sense what those are and react to them and be nimble enough to be able to put those into place. I think that's the real, uh, that's, that's the thing that we're all going to have to focus on is building more resilient businesses that are able to adapt to change. When we talk about like generational businesses, Jason, what we talk, what we talk about is businesses that have survived, uh, uh, existential shifts in the way that we interact with them. Microsoft used to be a, uh, a, a, you know, operating system company. Then it was a desktop, uh, computing, uh, you know, a computer in your, uh, in your home. And then it was a video game company. Now, you know, they, they touch, uh, they are now they have firmly an enterprise productivity <laughs> business company. Um, yep. so when you're talking about that and I could do the same with Facebook, you could do the same with any of these generational large, you know, businesses, they, buck the trend of existential crisis they are able to overcome you know these these massive and monumental shifts not just in technology but in the way that consumers react to us i yeah. think we're on the precipice of a shift that uh, um and i took over for brian i'm sorry no this is uh, great i think i think we're on the the we're on like this really knife edge at the moment where people um the number two e-commerce site in the world is a company called Shein. And Shein is the antithesis of everything that we're told is best practice in e-commerce, right? Number one, there's nothing sustainable about Shein. Shein is producing fast fashion at a uh, apocalyptic scale. Uh, they are a massive company that basically uh, were incubated in China, not as a venture-backed company that grew in five years, but as a 17-year horizon. They've been in business for almost two decades. And they, uh, as uh, my friend Jeremy Kai from Italic likes to say, you know, they basically grew up on planet Krypton. And then when they came to the United States, it was like, you know, they now they find themselves having Superman powers because what they do works really well for Western audiences. Uh, their design is frenetic right? There's no clear call to action anywhere because everything is vying for your attention. Every single part of, if you're a product owner at Shein, it's just make everything loud and let it scream at you. And hopefully someone interacts with it. So when you look at the things that are starting to resonate with a future consumer, my concern is that there's less clear paths for us to be able to build and mimic. And mimicry is actually how this whole industry has thrived. There was a whole era where five years, we were just building whatever Amazon did, assuming that it was successful. And so my, my concern is that you know, our new uh, standard bearers, our, our heroes in the industry become these companies that are actually, you know, frenetic and not necessarily great for the world or for the environment. They're certainly focused on uh, overconsumption. And it makes me kind of c curious as to how what what lessons we learn from them and which parts of what they do uh, are what we glom onto and start to integrate and, and to implement. And then I think the consumer, too, is signaling to us that they don't care as much about the things that we think they care about as they do. 
they sometimes just want really good product and they don't want to hear about how you're changing the world or how you're making them better in the process. I think so there's a there's a knife edge and I think it could tip either way very easily is the consumer just doesn't care. They just want stuff and they want it for a fair price and they want it pretty quickly uh, and they want to be able to brag about it to their friends and use that to, you know, signal their ideals and, uh, and, and their, their affiliations and their social groups. That's what they care about. And that's really kind of sad to be honest with you, because I wish it was more, but it's not. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of things all at once. And that could be the future that we're all heading towards. So how do you consult companies on that? I mean, you just said a lot and it was really, really interesting and a little bit controversial. So I really, I really like that. But how, I mean, what, what does the conversation look like when you sit down with brands like you do yeah. in your, with Future and also in your, in your other day jobs and have that conversation? And Naval uh, Ravikant, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, was quoted as saying, um, of course, he built AngelList and is a prolific investor um, and, uh, you know, a Twitter god. Um, but he said something kind of controversial that I think sort of follows in this, uh, in this vein, Jason. He said... Uh, you're, you're marketing because you failed at product and you're doing sales because you failed at marketing. (laughs) And if you had a stellar product, people will put themselves through anything to get it. I sat for three hours on gap.com's broken ass website, trying to buy a Yeezy puffer, uh, for $300. And I'll tell you what, I put myself through it and I hated every minute of it. But if I won that freaking jacket, I'd be a pretty happy dude. People will put themselves through anything for really good products. And I think we've lost sight of that, especially in the direct-to-consumer era and those, you know, Insta brands, uh, things that are very easy to build and source from overseas and slap your your pretty brand on top of, you know. Um, we sort of lost the fact that, hey, your ramen's beautiful. It tastes like garbage, dude. Like, we have to have really good product. And really good product overcomes a wealth of objections. Uh, it will find its natural audience and people will, people will go bonkers over it and you'll have to do a little less work in the process to you know save a customer from churning um that's really hard to do and i think that's why we don't do a lot of it we want the one weird trick we're going to slap a subscribe and save button on it and call it a day and go pay for some facebook ads because that's a little easier i think doing the hard thing is is actually the thing we all need to get better at and if you're just moving ones and zeros around you may not even have control over whether that product that you're selling is good or not and that's kind of also scary. Um, so that's another thing that I think we're going to see is like more connection between product and and like in connect like content and marketing. Um, it has to, it has to get tighter. Um, that yeah. And organizations have not been set up for the level of connection that's required to to have that the feedback loop between an actual like sale and feedback all the way back to product and like being able to revise based on that. Like there's a, there's a lot of departments that has to go through before it actually hits the product department. <laughs> um, so there's going to be some, there's going to be a lot of organiza- organizational shift. that has to happen for, for businesses to keep up in the, in the coming years. Yeah. It's such a balancing act. I mean, I, I saw a chart once that talked about Tesla's marketing budget was like near $0 uh, when, when rounded, uh, compared to GMs, which was astronomical. And they said, basically we put all our money in R and D and products. Cause we know you'll want them and you'll find them and you'll buy them. It's kind of aligned to your conversation. I don't own a right. test, so I didn't fall for it yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, a, a, well, a lot of, a lot of people have, I, I also think that Tesla does a lot of marketing simply by exposing the things that they're doing. 
Like that's yeah. that's and that's, maybe that's kind of what we're talking about right now, actually. <laughs> well, there's now the product roadmap is news and people can read it. And so it's like advertising. Right. That's the well, I, I think it's also a good example of, you know, extreme outlier and a um, uh, uh, probably, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's a <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble on this one, but I, I, th- I fir- firmly believe, you know, there's a something that's really novel about a business like Tesla is you have, you know, uh, something that in the open source world, we would have called a BDFL, uh, benevolent dictator for life, right? You have to have someone who has a very clear vision and a, and a voice that will basically, you know, uh, uh, move the masses to action. And certainly you have that in Elon Musk. I think we, we, uh, if Jack Dorsey in Twitter is another good example, you know, having a really clear leader who has a pretty keen vision on what it is they want, whether or not they're, they could be polarizing. You may not like them. I certainly, you know, we are quoted in 2018 saying we're never going to talk about Elon Musk on our podcast ever again. That didn't age very well. Um, uh, but you know, it's one of those things where having someone with a very clear vision who can help to lead, uh, a, a, a group of people is something that I, a lot of us sort of miss out on. Um, uh, especially in the age of, you know, uh, you know, big roll up holding co's that, you know, sort of just own a mess of, of brands that don't really have a clear vision. Um, so I think that there's, um, certainly extremes there. If we had people that were, uh, really passionate about the products that they're creating and they, they see themselves as being able to create a legacy out of it. Uh, I think they're certainly probably more prone to be more product minded than they are around this sort of marketing and hype vehicle. Although Elon could be, uh, accused of having done both quite well. Well, I, I will say this. The, the other side of the coin is I've met many, many companies who've said they've put almost all their money in great products. And if they could just get the word out, they would, yeah. be, it, they, and life would be good. And, and, and a lot of those have failed. And, and uh, so it wasn't necessarily just product led. So I do think there's a level of sweet spot that businesses are trying to find. Yeah. Oh, I, I, so I certainly agree. Um, I think that's the other part of it is how do you advise a company on just being lucky? Um, I think you're, you know, a lot of, a lot of success just comes down to timing. Um, you know, both Brian and I sort of grew up in the Magento era of e-commerce and, um, you know, I've often said that, you know, Magento was just two years early. Uh, if Magento had come around two years later, a lot of decisions would have been made. A lot of capital would have been unlocked. A lot of things would have happened differently, uh, that would have probably, you know, it would be the dominant platform today, uh, but it didn't work out that way. And that's just how things work. Not to say that like it was not a success, I think would be a complete mistake because it had, it was capitalized three separate times by three organizations. And it's now powering some of like some, you know, a not trivial part of GMV for a lot of big enterprises. And I certainly still make my money on, on, you know, Magento and Adobe integrations to some degree. So to say it's not successful, I think, is also a bit of a mistake. Like these things can be successful, but do they have to have like, you know, success only measured by? I you know, I also think that recognition. Go ahead, Brian. There's a lot. There's a lot. So much more to unpack here, but like a lot of businesses are realizing that like getting in front of people doesn't necessarily mean you getting you in front of other people, which is what a lot of the best practices around marketing are about right now. It might mean having other people get you in front of other people, uh, which means wholesale and distribution channels uh, are actually really coming back into vogue because there are incredible networks out there that put product in front of people. And if they put your product in front of people and it's good, 
and you know that then it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna work out really really well and so you're seeing like larger larger uh plays towards getting into uh existing retail networks um curators and and the like um you know i saw ghost in my local kroger recently i feel like that was probably a better strategy than every single dollar they put into dc <laughs> in, the, in recent years um uh, and uh, so i think it's about you know obviously it's, it's about achieving critical mass and, and other things like that 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 are required to get into those places um but i i i think that people are looking at old traditional ways and like oh wait this is why that was done that way um we we kind of maxed out our arbitrage opportunity on digital what are what are other ways of achieving mass scale you can see it when you see d2c brands who were carrying the flag of d2c showing up at your local nordstrom's right or you know whatever so it, it's happening what's what's old is now new again it's um, so true uh can i say one last thing on on that topic sure there's a um there's also like, don't discount taking the long game. Mm-hmm. I, we're always uh, in e-commerce, you know, in, in particular in the last couple of years, you know, we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of companies in 2022, just as they saw in 21, are going to have a, uh, uh, they're going to be tasked with trying to comp up on numbers over the last two years that, you know, might be really tough to attain because there were tailwinds at the time for digital purchasing that, you know, you're going to have to compete with the world on, you know, on uh, an accelerated reopen rate, you know, cross your fingers, COVID permitting and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, maybe take the long game. Maybe not all of that. The growth has to happen all in the next three to five years. Uh, I mean, you know, look at nursing and uh, and and look at uh, 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 FedEx and pilot programs these days. You know how they're you know planning for their own future industry growth is they're going to elementary schools and telling kids how cool it is to be a FedEx pilot, and uh, it's the same reason that McDonald's you know put a play place inside uh, inside you know uh, their restaurants in the 1980s. Like we want to equivalent, uh, you know, we need to uh, set. Th- something in people's minds to sort of plant the seed for the future 15, 20 years from now, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that equates a, a, an emotion, uh, or a nostalgic feeling with the interaction with the brand. And you can't just do that. You can't incept people to having that feeling, you know, in two to three years, sometimes that takes a long, long time. Um, so yeah, it's the reason why Balenciaga makes video games now right it's 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 all of that really kind of comes down to multi-pronged strategies to creating like an enduring business that can last for a really long time um really hard to do that in space of a year or two in fact i can't think of a single example that was done in the space of a two to three year period uh certainly uh you know not in the last two to three years well the mcdonald's point hit home with me i grew up in a small town in iowa and we had uh, McDonald's with the playground. And I remember basically telling my parents we're going to Bur- or that instead of Burger King because of that playground. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah. Um, worked out for them. Um, well, let's, let's transition a little bit to some of our, our wrap up items. The, the first is, you know, I would love for the digital river commerce connect listeners to really get in touch with you and your brand. What's the best way to do it? Visit the website, sign up for the newsletter. What do you, what do you guys recommend? Yes, please. Uh, futurecommerce.fm forward slash subscribe. Go there. That's the place to start. Uh, I'll obviously, uh, the podcast you can find on any major podcast player, whatever you use, 
Um, you can also subscribe to us there, but I would love to love to have you subscribe to our email list. We send out a lot of additional info via our email chain. We have two incredible email series. One's called the senses, which really covers what's happening in the world and our thoughts on it. Um, commentary. Uh, the second's called insiders. That's a long form essay that we write, um, and put out some of our other bigger reports through and, and, uh, guides and, and more, um, and news about events and dinners that we're doing. And, um, so yeah, definitely go subscribe. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and then, you know, obviously this will be my wrap up question, but I would love to hear from you as to where, if, if people were going on Twitter and follow one person who you think is kind of cutting edge, interesting, someone to pay attention to, who would it be and why? Barack Obama. Uh, no, um, <laughs> sure. Get political. Uh, I'm cool with it. Yeah, no, no, no. I honestly, um, I, I feel like we would all do better. Uh, and, and this is not an original thought. Uh, Michael Miraflor, who is a really uh, a smart um, uh, person who sits at the end, he sits these days, he does uh, Gen Z research, um, but he uh, dabbles in the art world and is certainly known to trample around the uh, D2C spaces a bit. Uh, he has a famous saying, which is like, unfollow influencers and, and models and start following more artists. Uh, I feel like we could all be more creatively inspired, I think, because of his sort of stance there. I think Michael Miraflor, for me, would be the the instant follow. Uh, and you're going to get a little bit of everything from him. He's he's brilliant. Um, and uh, uh, and also a little bit, you know, uh, experimental. He, he certainly dabbles in the art community and NFTs as well. So you're going to get a little bit of everything. Excellent. Uh, Magdalena Kala for me. Say it again. Uh, Magdalena Kala. Magdalena Kala. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's a crypto investor. Yeah. Crypto investor, spent a lot of time at DTC. She's super fun, super smart. Uh, she's been on Future Commerce before. Um, just she's got fun takes. She's a, she's an enjoyable follow. And also you learn a lot when you follow her. Big Outstanding. Fan. All right. I'll add them both to my Twitter follows. Thank you for the recommendation. Wait, can I add one more? Alex, okay, Greifeld. Sure. Alex Greifeld from No Best Practices is another phenomenal file follow. Uh, that's a, that's a must. First name, Alex, last name, Greifeld. Greifeld. You guys picked really complicated. It wasn't like a John Smith you could recommend. For <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think that's the other thing too, is, um, you know, we're sort of the, uh, I, I joke and I don't want to do it uh, on your podcast at, you know, the expense of your audience, but you know, uh, it's easy for us to recognize too, that, you know, we're sort of a, a little bit of a trope, you know, there's, there's a, a, a joke about white guys that start podcasts in our industry is sort of self important, uh, needing to get their thoughts out into the world. And, uh, one thing that we're trying hard to do is to, uh, you know, if we have any sort of a platform or voice, if we can make space for other people who, uh, you know, who, uh, sometimes get overlooked and, uh, and maybe marginalized. That's a thing that we really care about too. So, uh, certainly trying to help, um, you know, certainly between Magdalena and Michael Miraflor, we, we already have, they, they far eclipse our audience, but it's, <laughs> it's an important thing for us to help, uh, try to point to other voices that are, you know, saying more important things than we are. Excellent. Well, I follow both of you as well, but, uh, well, there you have it. Uh, Brian Lang and Philip Jackson are the co-founders of future commerce and hosts of the podcast of podcasts with the same name. You can find future commerce podcasts on all major listening platforms, as well as their future commerce website, Brian and Philip. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the commerce connect podcast brought to you by digital river and edited at matriarch digital media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.